Well, good morning. Welcome to church, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day weekend. Today we're continuing in our series on relationships called I Want a New Marriage. And we just thought, again, that these weeks through the month of February was just really a great time to look at this topic of love and relationships. And so whether you're joining us today and you're married or whether you're here and you're single, the great news is that the Bible has some incredible, incredible things to teach us on these topics of love and relationships. Now, last week, we began this series in week one, and we said that our bottom line, or kind of even our overarching theme for this entire series was simply this, that my future or future marriage will go beyond my imagination when I can focus less on my rights and more on my responsibility. So that was kind of our big idea. And we also discovered last week that we can choose to either fight in a relationship or we can choose to fight for a relationship. And if we really want to see our relationships go to places that are beyond our imagination, we need to learn to start living like Jesus, that we need to learn to start to take the form of a servant. And we're going to, again, focus not on our rights, we're instead, we're going to focus and invest in the relationship. We're going to look less at our demands, and we're going to look more in the mirror at how we can change ourselves. Now, today, we're going to continue this look at relationships by unpacking the story of the very first relationship talked about in Scripture. So if you have your Bible today or your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and head to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to hang out a bit in there today. And we're also going to put up the verses on the screen to help you follow along as well. But today we're going to look at the story of Adam and Eve. Now, this is our bottom line that we're unpacking today, and I'm going to do a little different. I'm going to give you the bottom line right from the start before we jump into the message, but this is kind of our big idea. Our big idea is that relationships are maximized when we can get on the same page, that relationships are maximized when we can get on the same page. If you want your relationship to go to the next level with your spouse, if you want your relationship to go to the next level with God, then you need to be willing to get on the same page. And if there's tension right now in any relationship in your life, it's probably because you and that other person are not currently on the same page. And that tension is not gonna end until you're able to get on the same page. When Julie and I got married 21 years ago, um, we were broke. We were actually beyond broke. We were seriously, seriously in debt. Julie had about $20,000 of student loan debt from her time at Eastern Nazarene College, ENC, down in Boston. Um, I was not very wise with money and had a bunch of credit cards that I had taken out. And we were really young when we got married. We were, we were barely in our 20s. And I remember being so excited leading up to our wedding day because we got to do something really fun. We got to register for our wedding. And for any of those who've been married or if you've had a baby, you know this whole idea about being able to register. And we went to Walmart and they gave us this you know, newfangled technology called a scanner back then. And they gave us one of these and we got to walk around Walmart and just start scanning all the things that we wanted as presents uh, for our wedding. It was crazy, things we could never afford. And so, you know, obviously I started scanning PlayStation 
and Xbox and a big screen TV. And Julie was way more practical. And she was scanning utensils and appliances and bedding and things like that. Um, but we didn't get a lot of stuff for our wedding. I mean, we were poor college students. And so the vast majority of our friends were poor college students. We were living on Pop-Tarts and ramen noodle, okay? Those were the people who we invited to our wedding. Like four of our friends chipped in and bought us a picture frame. It was awesome. So after our wedding, I don't even know if we had a complete set of dishes when we moved into our place. So Julie and I sat down a couple weeks after we got married and kind of settled in, and she said, AJ, I really think there are a couple things in our home, especially our kitchen, that we still really need, that we could really use. And I kind of calculated it. I tried to be as cost efficient as possible. I think it's going to cost about $200 for us to complete everything we need for our kitchen. And so I did what most husbands would do in that situation. I lied. I said, yeah, babe, that's really important to me too, kitchen utensils. That sounds like a great thing. We really need that. But we don't really have the money right now. But later, okay, later on, sure, we're going to get all of those things. Those things matter as much to me as they matter to you. Well, a few days later, I got a flyer in the mail from Best Buy. It said they were having a big sale. It said that I praise God, was pre-approved for a Best Buy credit card. And get this, how great a deal was this? Zero percent interest for the first year. 30% after that, but zero percent interest for the first year. And I was excited. And I had talked to Julie in the past about my dream of having a big screen television and a surround sound system. And she said that someday in the future, she was definitely open to that idea. So I took it as a green light, and I went out without talking to her to Best Buy, and I opened up a credit card, and I started charging things. I was like Ariel in The Little Mermaid, okay? I got gadgets and gizmos aplenty, <laughs> TVs and sound bars galore. You like video games? I bought 20. Who cares? No big deal. Charge some more. That's what I did, okay? A few weeks later, the credit card bill came in the mail. I had charged almost $10,000 in electronics at Best Buy. Some of the women are like, you must die right now. You're saying that, right? <laughs> Let me put this in a little bit different perspective for you. My annual salary at the time as a graduate teaching assistant at the University of Maryland was $19,000 a year. Julie was working for minimum wage at Target as a cashier. When my wife saw that bill when it came in the mail, we didn't have a fight. It was way worse than that. She just burst into tears and ran into our bedroom and shut the door. She was devastated. I felt terrible. And when we were finally able to talk things through, here's what she said to me. She said, AJ, here's what I'm wondering. How is it that you thought we could afford all of these electronics worth thousands of dollars, but you told me we couldn't afford $200 worth of stuff that I thought we actually needed for our home, like cooking utensils? Man, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever gotten in an argument with your spouse and your butt was kicked already before the argument even started? Because that's what happened. Like, you just got smoked by your spouse, and the argument hadn't even begun. What could I say? I had literally no defense for that. And finally, I had to admit, well, 
because I didn't want boring utensils. I wanted a big screen TV to watch football on. And I returned some of the stuff that I was able to return, some of the things we couldn't return, and it took years. It took literally several years for us to financially dig out of that mistake. It's safe to say there was some tension early on in our marriage, and it was my fault. See, every time one person wants something in a relationship and another person wants something else, there's going to be some tension happening in that relationship. And for, for, for some of you married couples that are here today, the reason you're having some tension right now in your marriage is because the two of you are not on the same page. For some of you, the reason there's tension right now between you and God is because God wants one thing for your life and you're chasing something else and you're not willing to say, God, I'm wrong. So there's this tension. So that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to kind of unpack today. How do we get on the same page with our significant other and how do we get on the same page in our relationship with God. And Scripture gives us some great insight about this through the story of Adam and Eve, through the very first marriage in Scripture. So let's begin today with a deep, deep theological question. When God created man and woman, why do you think God created man first? Why do you think? I think the answer is clear, because he didn't feel like talking about his feelings. That was a joke. Don't get mad. But as we said already, men and women are different. We have some differences. For example, most men are not big talkers. And there's been psychological research, there's been neuroscience that's looked at the brain on this, and studies have found in general, there's always differences, unique differences amongst us, but in general, most men say about 5,000 words in a day. Women, on the other hand, say about 10,000 words a day with gusts up to 15,000, okay? <laughs> That's the difference. Like, I've never called up one of my guy friends and been like, man, we need to talk more. Like, I just need a good cry and to share my feelings with you. But women, I'm honest enough to admit that the way it probably went down in the Garden of Eden was like this. God created man, and he said, not bad, but I think I can do better. And then he created women. Amen, women? Okay. Let's look at Genesis 2, verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, he said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The first three words, if you look at that passage in Scripture, the first three words that God spoke to man were, you are free. Our God is a God of freedom. He created you and he created me to live in freedom. That's the first three words that God spoke. I actually like the first five words that he spoke. He said, you are free to eat, but that's a problem that I have, okay? I got to work on that. But God says to Adam, you're free. You're free. All this is yours, but there's just one thing that you can't have. There's just one thing that's off limits, this one tree. And if you choose in your freedom to disobey me and to eat from it, there's going to be some serious, serious long-term consequences. See, in life, when bad things happen, 
There are generally two reasons why. The first is because of outside factors that are really beyond our control that can happen. Why? Because we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. Things like natural disasters, things like sickness and disease, even the sins of other people that can impact us and affect us. And we've all had events in our lives that were a result of things outside of our control. But the other reason that difficult times can happen in life is because of our own poor choices in life. And here's the reality. I have caused me more pain and more suffering than anybody else on the planet. And that's probably the tr true for you as well. Most of our pain in life happens because we choose to not be on the same page with God. We choose to reject the umbrella of God's authority and wisdom in our life, which serves to protect us and truly allows us to live free, and we become prisoners to the consequences of our sin and our poor choices in life. For many of us, we've gone down the same road as Adam and Eve. God offers us incredible, incredible freedom under his authority, but we choose to go our own way, and then we're faced to deal with the consequences of our rebellion. Let's continue in this story, picking up in verse 19. Here's what it says. Now, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So Adam gets to name the animals. And I, I really think, I think that's like the coolest job in like the history of the world. And he's really excited about it at first. He's pumped up. He's like hippopotamus, kangaroo, artfark. Okay, he's having fun. Then he stops caring, cat. Okay. And then after working hard, Adam goes to sleep. And while Adam's asleep, God creates this magnificent creation of woman, and God establishes a relationship first with her, that I'm your heavenly father, you're my daughter, and then he brings her to Adam, and God says, hey, Adam, I want to bless you. I want to bless you with this amazing woman who's going to be your life partner, and together the two of you will fulfill my will. Go forth, be stewards of the entire earth. Go and, and, and multiply, Okay. You are in a perfect garden. You're in paradise. You're welcome. Adam and Eve are literally placed in paradise together. We're living in winter in Maine. They were in paradise, okay? Put that in perspective. They're on the same page with each other. They're on the same page with God. And they also have incredible freedom. Because remember, how many rules did Adam and Eve have in the beginning? Say it loud. One, right? They had one rule. And what do they do with that freedom? They choose poorly. And they get off of the same page with God and off of the same page with each other. So today I want to talk about three kind of specific areas of life that if we're honest, we would all acknowledge that we can sometimes struggle with. And I truly believe that if we could gain some victory in these three areas, if we could get on the same page with God when it comes to these three areas, that it would change our lives. Our families would change. Our marriages would change. Our relationship with our kids 
would change. I believe our church could change. It could change our world, in fact. And this is such an important truth, and we're going to put it up on the screen so we can all visualize it. But here is this critically, critically important truth. Any relationship not built on trust will falter. Any relationship that's not built on trust will falter. This is just a universal truth. This is a biblical principle. Any relationship not built on trust will falter, whether we're talking about a marriage relationship or a relationship with our kids or a relationship with God. Any relationship not built on trust will falter. So with that in mind, let's unpack these three areas when it comes to trust. And if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Number one, number one, listen to his word. Listen to his word. We need to listen and trust God's word. Adam and Eve lost paradise because they didn't. Picking up in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, no, we're, we're free. We may eat fruit from, from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. In that encounter with the serpent, Eve begins to lose focus on God as the priority of her life because she starts to doubt his word. And in just moments, she's going to place a piece of fruit at a higher position in her life than God. And we all know how that's going to play out. Now, in our day and age, I doubt anybody in our congregation is a fruit worshiper, right? Nobody's at home right now online bowing to their banana on their kitchen table. We're not fruit worshipers, but we have our own fruits. When we start to trust other things above God and we start to place other things in the position that God should have in our lives, like maybe it's that relationship in your life, that boyfriend or that girlfriend, maybe even that spouse. When we take any person in our life and we place them in a position that really belongs to God, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. So, how much do we value what other people think of us? Because I've met so many people who are afraid to step into the greater things and step into the greater plans that God has for them because they're worried about other people and the opinions of other people. They're afraid to pray out loud because of what it, they might sound like and what somebody might think. They're afraid to serve because I, mean, I don't really know enough to be able to do that. And how would it look if I failed at doing that? When we talked about this a few weeks ago, I've seen people afraid to get baptized because of what other people say or because of how they might look when they get wet. Who's going to be first in your life? Jesus or the opinion of other people? Don't let other voices rob you of the blessings of God. Genesis 3 verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan starts to speak doubt. He starts to plant these seeds of doubt about the very nature of God and the very character of God. 
Hey, Adam and Eve, guess what? God's not who you think he is. He's holding out on you. Sure, he's given you freedom, and he's given you this whole paradise, but what about that fruit over there? Why is he holding that from you? Yeah, your life's okay under God's authority and protection, but if you come out from that, if you come over here, your life is going to be greater than you could ever imagine. You could be like God. See, here's the temptation. Your life can be more awesome than what it is right now. All you've got to do is disobey God and walk away. Sure, she's not your wife. Sure, he's not your husband. But the results will be worth the compromise if you go over there. That's a lie. That's a lie. Because when we walk away from God's word, when we walk away from the umbrella of his authority, we also walk away from God's protection. And for all the days of our life, Satan is going to be whispering into our ear and provoking us and baiting us into questioning God's word. Because he knows that if we start to question God's word, we're going to be much less likely to trust in God. And our lives are going to start to drift. So how do we combat that? Well, we listen and we trust the word of God. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? You prioritize it. You develop positive habits of spiritual disciplines in your life. Do you regularly read your Bible? Do you regularly spend time in devotion? Are you part of a small group community? Even in the midst of a pandemic, are you finding ways to connect with other people, whether it be live or via Zoom? Are you finding ways to have that community in your life? Do you regularly participate in church? Because for most professed Christians, the answer to one or more of those questions is no, they don't. And then we say, well, God doesn't speak to me because we rarely listen. See, God is always speaking to us. We just have to be ready to listen. God wants to speak to you. I don't know a good parent on the planet who doesn't want to communicate with their kids. And God isn't just a good parent. He's the perfect parent. He's the parent that many of us grew up maybe dreaming that we had in our life. He's a good God who wants great things for you. Look at Eve. As she's beginning to doubt God because of Satan's lies, what has God done for her so far? He's given her everything. He's literally given her the world. He's met her every need, and yet she still begins to struggle to believe the best about him. When we lose sight of God's word, we can easily, easily fall into unbelief and miss out on the greater things of God. Number two, if you're taking notes, is this. We need to learn to trust in his timing. We need to learn to trust in his timing. Here's what it says in Genesis 3, 6. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Even Adam, both of them saw that it looked good and so they took it and they ate. That's what we often do in life. We see something, we want it, and so we go after it. But we need to trust God in his timing. Singles, singles who are with us today, surely as Eve plucked it from the tree, some of you right now are chasing a piece of fruit. Some of you are dating a piece of fruit. 
You're settling for something less because you're not waiting for God's timing in your life. And it's hard sometimes to wait for God's timing. I'm not saying that's easy to do. It can be very difficult to wait for God's timing. And yes, there are going to be periods of loneliness in life. And there are going to be periods of feeling emptiness in life. But what you need to understand is there is a purpose even in those seasons of life. Oftentimes our loneliness is meant to drive us to a deeper relationship with God, who should be the first love of our life. And the wait is meant to to grow our relationship with him. Many people view time as the enemy. I've got to hurry up and get married. I've got to hurry up and have a baby. Time is not your enemy. Trust in God's timing. If you remember the biblical story of of King David, I mean, after he was anointed king as a little shepherd boy, he didn't become king for a long time. He was out in the field, still working for his dad, taking care of the sheep, and God used that time. He prepared him in the pasture to one day go to the palace. Men, many of us struggle with, with how we use the time that God has given us. You know, my kids remind me all the time that I'm getting older. My, my youngest daughter, Cassie, who's 13 now, um, when she was younger, when she was like five or six, one time she was in the bathroom getting ready. And I walked in there and I said, hey, Cass, you look so pretty today with those little braids in your hair. And she was like, thank you, Daddy. And I said, did your mommy do that? And she said, yes, Daddy, Mommy did that. And I said, that's awesome. What do you think about daddy? You think you could do braids like that in daddy's hair? She said, daddy, you don't have a lot of hair. So I spanked her. But man, our time is short. We need to think about how we're using our time. Our hair turns gray, okay? The years pass. Sometimes our hair falls out and leaves us. The six-pack turns into a keg. All those things can happen. We need to think about how we're using our time and if Jesus is truly going to have first place in our lives. And look, I don't say that to judge you. I say that because I'm a guy and I know how easy it is to put Jesus on the back burner in our life. This is not a one-time decision. This is about being a living sacrifice. It's about waking up every single day and consciously making the choice that Jesus is going to be the priority in your life. Men, are you leading your family to church? Notice I didn't say, did you get dragged to church today? If he's Lord of your life, you should be leading your family to church, not being a stumbling block that keeps them from God. Men, do you lead your family in worship? Well, pastor, I'm not very emotional. I don't don't raise my hand or sing. Oh, Oh, you're emotional. Many of you guys will be real emotional when you shoot a deer. You get that eight-point buck, you're going to be celebrating and high-fiving, right? You're going to offer up worship and praise watching the Super Bowl later tonight. You'll throw your hands up in the air when the team you're rooting for gets a score. You'll offer praise and worship to people who don't even know your name. And don't get me wrong, it's fun to celebrate your team. I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl later too. It's fun to celebrate, but... We need to remember, why not celebrate and give praise to the one who really matters, our God, who actually knows you, who actually loves you, who's actually saved you. And if you're a dad, guess what? 
Your kids are watching you. Your kids will see that. Men, you need to understand that one day you're going to be held accountable for what you did in the time that you were given on this earth. Don't believe me? Check out verse 8 in Genesis 3. Look what happens. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Men, are you paying attention? You are called by God to be a spiritual leader in your home. And one day, God will hold you accountable for that. Who did God call to first in the garden, church? Adam. He called Adam. Men, God is asking some of you, where are you when it comes to leading your family spiritually? What are you doing with the time and the mission that God has placed before you? Number three, last one we're going to look at today. Surrender your life. Surrender your life. Finally, we need to learn to trust God with our entire life. So God asked Adam, where are you? Now, this was Adam's big opportunity to come clean, right? This was his big opportunity to say, God, I have sinned. I, I have I've rebelled against you. I'm sorry. God, please help me to get back on the same page as you. Forgive me. But what does Adam do instead? Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, so I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So Adam doesn't try to get back on the same page with God. Instead, he plays the blame game and he blames his wife. A lot of men do that. It's all her fault. So was Adam on the same page as Eve in this moment? No, right? Did he believe in her and stand by his bride? No. What did he do? He threw her under the bus is what he did. He basically said, God, it's all her fault. And God, kinda, it's kind of technically your fault because you, you put her here with me. I think you should just kill her and just solve the problem. And then he turns to Eve and he's like, sorry, babe, it was fun, you know, being naked in the garden and paradise and all that stuff, but you're on your own, girlfriend. Eve, to her credit, doesn't throw her husband under the bus. She could have said, this weak, pathetic man, God, that you said was going to protect me, did absolutely nothing when a creepy talking snake showed up. He didn't even pick up a stick and hit it. He just left me there. So let me ask you a question. When we screw up in life, when we sin, when we drift from God, and we realize, hey, I'm not on the same page with God anymore, how do we get back to being on the same page with God? How do we do that? Well, it starts with a very powerful word that's not often talked about in church. And here's the word, repentance. Repentance. Repentance is a difficult word. I've shared this story with you guys in, in the past, but I think it's just such a really good illustration of repentance. Many years ago, my daughter number two, Lexi, she taught my wife and I a really powerful lesson about repentance. She had gotten into trouble one night. We sent her to bed early, and then we went to pray with her uh, later in the night before bed, and she apologized, and we forgave her. I don't even remember what it was. Maybe she broke something or, or didn't do a chore or something like that. And then after we were done praying with her, 
We say, is your heart good? Is everything okay? And she goes, well, mom and dad, I, I, I have to confess something else. And we're like, okay, what is it? And she said, there's a fish in my closet. And we're like, say what? Here's what you realize. We had two aquatic turtles at the time. I named them Leonardo and Michelangelo. I wanted four. Julie would only let me get two. So if you have two aquatic turtles named Raphael and Donatello, we can make a set. For those of you who didn't get that, go back to the 80s and look up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But occasionally, we would feed our turtles live fish called rosy reds as a treat. Well, my compassionate daughter felt so sorry for these little fish that she decided to scoop one out of the tank, put it in a jar, and hide it in her closet to rescue it. Sweet, absolutely. Compassionate, totally. The problem was she grabbed a large bottle of hand sanitizer that still had some in it, and she just tapped it off with water and threw the fish into it. So we found a drunk, dead fish belly up in her closet. So we named him Boozer, and we flushed him. And she cried, and she promised never, ever, ever to do it again, and we hugged her and we forgave her. Why? Because we love her. Because she's our daughter. What I didn't do was the next day take her over to PetSmart and walk by the fish tanks and say, remember poor Boozer, you're a horrible, horrible person. His eyes were probably burning. I didn't do that to her. Why? Because I'm a good dad and I love my daughter. God is your loving father. He wants greater things for you than even you want from you. God wants what's best for you. He doesn't want to condemn you, but he wants to correct you, and he wants to keep you from moving down a path that will ultimately lead to your destruction. See, re repentance is kind of a dirty word that we don't really like talking about, but here's what it means. It means acknowledging that we're worshiping the wrong things that we're chasing after fruit. And it means turning back into a relationship with God. And make no mistake about it, if you're not willing to repent and turn away from the fruit that you're worshiping, you will never find sustaining joy in your life. But I've never met a person in my life who made the decision to repent and turned back to God and then regretted that decision. It's when we chase after false gods in our life that we're left with regrets. Adam and Eve screwed up. Their lack of trust in God's word, their lack of trust in God's timing, their inability to make God the primary love of their life, it brought sin into the world and destruction and death. They lost paradise. But even though they went off from the same page with God, they didn't give up on each other. Check out Genesis 4.1. Here's what it says. It says that Adam then, then lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, gave credit to God, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Adam and Eve lived a long time after the fall, and they raised a great family together. And Adam pursued his wife. By all accounts, he mended that relationship with her, and they got back on the same page. Adam didn't abandon his wife despite all that happened with them. And Eve, she didn't abandon her husband. She forgave him. 
And notice that they give credit and glory to God. Because not only did they begin to get back on the same page as a couple, but God loved them enough as his kids to offer them a way back to getting on the same page with him as well. Last verse we'll look at today, Genesis 3.21. After the fall, here's what happened. It says this. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Remember, Adam and Eve were naked in the garden. They were enjoying paradise. But when they ate the forbidden fruit, their eyes were open to the knowledge of good and evil, and they started to feel shame. They even felt shame for being naked and for what they had done, and they tried to, to cover up with leaves and hide from God. Well, many biblical scholars believe that God took an innocent lamb in the garden and sacrificed it to cover their sins and provide clothing with its skin. This was foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us thousands of years later on the cross. See, church, we're all imperfect sinners. We say all the time here, there are no perfect people in this church. All of us are in need of a savior, but God loves us enough to offer us forgiveness and grace when we're willing to confess and repent and turn back to him. So here's the last question I have for you today, and it's this. What do you need to do to get back on the same page with God? What do you need to do, maybe for the first time in your life, to get on the same page with God? Let's pray together. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, my prayer is that for everyone listening today, whether they're here in this building with us or watching online, that we would come to embrace this incredible truth that no matter what we've done, no matter our past, that you are the God who loves us, that you're the God who's pursuing us, that you're the God who is fighting for our heart because you're a good God and you want good things for your children. God, I pray for the, the singles here that they would work to become people of God that you are calling them to be. I pray for the married folks who are here today that husbands would pursue their wives like Jesus loves his church, purely, passionately, with a love that never gives up. I pray that wives would choose to love their husbands and honor their husbands. God, thank you for what you're doing in our church. I pray that you would continue to, to move hearts and make this a place and make this a community where lives are forever changed through you. So we continue to pray this morning for, for those of you here today who, who may be thinking, you know what? If I'm being completely honest right now, I acknowledge that my relationship with God is not where it should be, that, that I'm not on the same page, that I haven't been listening to his word. I haven't been trusting in his timing. I, ha I haven't surrendered my life fully to him. And, and if that's you today, and, and you're just saying, you know what, pastor, you're speaking to me right now. That's where I'm at. As an act of faith, just, just between you and, and God right now, would you just lift a hand and say, that's me. I know that there are things that are not right right now in my relationship with God. Whether you're here, whether you're watching online right now, we just lift up a hand. Say, Pastor, I know there's some things I need to work on. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I thank you. I thank you that, that I'm part of a church where people are honest and transparent. Well, I want to let you know something. The good news is it's not too late. It's not too late. Today you can choose repentance. 
and you can acknowledge that you've been chasing after some fruit and you've been worshiping the wrong things. And today you can choose to turn back to God. And so that's you today. I just want to, I just want to pray with you this morning. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just simply a way to communicate what God is speaking to you right now in your heart, in your mind. You can pray this where you're at. You can even come to the altar right now and just get on your knees and just lay this out before God. Just put it at his feet. Would you, would you pray this? Would you pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. God, thanks for, for meeting me right where I'm at. God, I'm not perfect. And today I want to acknowledge that, that there are things that, that are not right in my relationship with you right now. God, maybe I've drifted. Maybe I've put other things in my life in the position that belongs to you. I've been chasing after false things. I've been chasing after fruit. But God, today I want to turn back to you. I want you to be the love of my life. Heavenly Father, forgive me. Put me on a new path. Restore me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk each day under the umbrella of your love and your authority where true freedom is found. God, forgive me of my sins and help me begin a new life starting today, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year for the rest of my life. I want to wake up each day and make you first. Choose to make you first. God, I pray that you would honor that. I love you. I pray these things today in the name of your son, in Jesus' name. Church, can we celebrate some people who made some decisions this morning? Praise God. As our worship team continues to lead us this morning, again, I want to let you know, you can pray where you're at. You can stand and sing. The altars are open if you need to work some stuff out. You know, God's here. He's present. He's with you always. He loves you. He cares. Let's stand together.
refuge in the storm. Through these trials, you've always been faithful. You bring healing to my soul. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. with the story of Adam and Eve that we heard today. And then you would give us the courage to be people of action, to be people who are able to notice when we're drifting, to make a course correction and get back on the same page as you. Father, for some of us, it's saying, you know what? I need to be more consistent in my spiritual disciplines, reading your word, spending time in devotion. God, I'm lacking community in my life during this pandemic. I've drifted from that. And I know the Christian life isn't meant to be done alone. God, I need to find some more community in my life as support and for strength. God, I need to connect with my church family. Father, for decisions that are made today, I pray that you would just honor them, that we would be able to, to get back on the same page with you, that we, we would stop chasing after false gods and false fruit in our lives, and we would place you in your rightful place as Lord of our life, as first place in our lives. God, help us, help us with those decisions in the days and the weeks ahead. Father, I pray that you would honor commitments made today as you've spoken to people's minds and hearts. We love you, and we give you all the glory, honor, and praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have a wonderful Super Bowl Sunday, Valentine's Day tomorrow, a great week. Can't wait to see you guys back next week as we continue in part three of I Want a New Marriage. God bless.